And uh, true or false, um, you know what? Raise your hand if you enjoyed true-false quizzes. You know what? 50-50 chance, right? <laughs> Answer the ones you know and guess on the rest, and pretty good. Well, we're going to be talking about um, something the Bible talks a lot about, and that's discerning truth. And it's being um, alert to and aware of uh, false teaching, to guard against it, and to be sound in our doctrine, and the importance of that. And throughout the New Testament, writers warn of false teachers of deception. They contend earnestly for believers to hold on to sound doctrine. They encourage believers to be alert and studious. And we see specific individuals and groups of people who are in the Bible, and we see groups of people uh, and individuals who are not um, alert and unaware and aware. Uh, the Bereans were a great bunch. In Acts 17.11 says, And the people of Berea were more, more open-minded than those of Thessalonica. They listened eagerly to Paul's message, and they searched the Scriptures day by day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. They were smart because there are so many voices out there that are speaking truth. We live in a generation where everybody's the expert, or at least they have access to the expert, and um, respect for teachers is on the decline because you can just Google it, right? And uh, approaching a pastor with theological questions or doubts, well, you just Google it or you YouTube it. And um, same with moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas. You know, the wisdom and the discernment of our elders is being bypassed because we can go to who knows who, who says this is true, or they have their opinions or their expert advice, and they have some letters behind their name, and they look somewhat intellectual, so then we think oh, that must be true. Technology is great, yet how do we ascertain the credibility of the information that we're given? And who fact-checks the fact-checks? Right? Sometimes those are the most abusive lies out there, the fact-checks. Need fact-checking, big time. So many biases, agendas, fabrications, etc. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. <clears throat> who enjoys being lied to? It's really fun. <laughs> who likes to be told half-truths? So harmful to us, and especially when it comes to the condition of our soul and matters regarding the afterlife. The principles of God and of life, our identity, our purpose, our origin, our destiny, morality, it's so harmful. Thankfully, um, so we have here, we have Jesus saying, beware of false teachers, but Scripture doesn't just alert us to beware. They tell us how to identify false teachers. And number one in, on the back of your newsletter, uh, how do we identify false teachers? Scripture gives us great advice in how to do that. And we don't have to be paranoid. We need to be alert and diligent and discerning, and we can grow in that. 
uh, but not paranoid. And here's how we can, at least a few of the ways, that we're able to identify false teachers. One is they preach an alternate version of the gospel. The true gospel states that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says that there is not one person who is perfect. The true gospel says that we've all messed up. We've all done wrong. We've all rebelled to different degrees, but we've all... here's Here's a column right here. Here's the perfect column, and here's the sinner column. Which column are you in? And the Bible says that we're all in the sinner column. There is no one perfect, no, not one. And God showed his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God took on flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Christ, fulfilling all of the hundreds and hundreds of scriptures, the Jewish scriptures that are very specific. And he fulfilled those, and all of his disciples died for saying that they saw Jesus after he died, that he resurrected from the grave. And they could have said, okay, I didn't see him. Okay, it didn't happen. But they stuck by their word, and they were martyred for their faith, as many first century Christians were. And Jesus was seen not by 12 disciples, but by over 500 people after he rose from the dead. And all who put their faith in him, God puts his Holy Spirit in every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's powerful. And it's undeniable the life transformations that have happened over the last 2,000 years for people that have come to Christ to be redeemed from their guilt, from their shame, from their sin, and to experience the forgiveness and the eternal life that God offers them and the Holy Spirit that he gives them. Identifying false teachers are teachers that preach an alternate version of the gospel. Paul was speaking to the Galatians who were being tricked. He says, you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. The passage continues, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Strong language. And it should be. Imagine there's a guy in Mount Horeb or in your town who is going around to every little kid and saying, hey, go play in the street because it is fun. To every kid, hundreds of kids. Is that healthy? Is that beneficial for the health and well-being of our children? No, it is better for him to be accursed than to cause many young ones to perish. Much more so in the spiritual sense of people obscuring the face of God, obscuring the salvation of God. And so, um, Paul tells people, watch out for people that preach an alternate version of the gospel. Uh, Here's an example of that. There's many examples of what that could look like, but uh, there are those uh, false teachers who preach a works-based salvation. Tell people, if you be good enough, if you try hard enough, if you get your act together, then you can go to heaven. And unfortunately, all that produces in a person is hopelessness 
or a blind self-righteousness. Because we spoke about the two columns, right? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Mm -hmm. For all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his Son. So, so there's a works-based salvation being preached oftentimes. And works naturally will follow our faith, but we're not saved by our works. Works are a byproduct of the faith. God upheld justice when he extended mercy through Jesus Christ. Um, salvation is not for those who deny their sin or justify their behavior, but for those who acknowledge their depravity and they put their faith in God's Savior. Another um, example would be uh, a false teacher exclaiming that all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to heaven. It doesn't make sense in any earthly way. All roads lead to Orlando. Not true. Right? Um, scientific law is very exclusive. Um, we can't defy gravity. It's very exclusive. Jesus said the gate is narrow, but wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me, comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made a way where there was no way. And um, so that's refuted. All roads lead to to God, to heaven. Two, um, false teachers will present a form of godliness but deny its power. (coughs) They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that, 2 Timothy 3.5. What is the power, in that verse, what is the power that can make them godly? It's the gospel. Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of this, the gospel, the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God, saving everyone who believes. Most dangerous, the most dangerous false teachers may not be the atheists in the classroom, although that is such an evil, but those who parade as Christian leaders and pastors and authors and musicians and Christian professors with letters behind their names. An example would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees of of Jesus' time. They had great piety of false humility, and they appeared very spiritual, but they did not know the heart of God, and they were spiritually dead inside. These are people that know the Christian language better than most of us. They can pray amazing prayers. Jesus spoke of um, a man very eloquent and long in his public prayer um, they may champion virtue, care for the poor, or doctrine, but they do not have a relationship with Christ. They have not received him as the Savior that he is. They do not preach Christ crucified and risen again. They are not filled with the Holy Spirit. They may be, and they are, full of religion and full of knowledge, but not full of God's love. 
and of God's wisdom. And speaking of false teachers, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesy in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and we perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. And they'll be judged for their sins, their lawlessness, because they have rejected Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They have no advocate at the judgment seat of God. Jesus says in Matthew 15, verse 8, he says, These people, these false teachers, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Man-made ideas. They will speak with an authority and with... um, convincing form, the commands of man rather than the commands of God. Three, they will profess to know God, but their actions will betray them. False teachers, they will profess to know God, but their actions will betray them. Titus says, uh, Paul speaking to Titus, says, such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient. Worthless for doing anything good. An example of a false teacher in this line would be one that would justify living in sin. And in turn, they all often call true believers legalistic. Instead of acknowledging conviction of the Holy Spirit, when it happens in their life, or instead of admitting their sin, they resist the Holy Spirit, or they justify or rationalize their actions, and then they twist Scripture to make allowance for their desires, lust, greed, selfishness, poor choices, and they teach other people to do the same. They undermine true believers, especially leaders, um, especially leaders, they can be highly critical of pastors, of true leadership, especially if they're not part of the inner circle. They slander. False teachers slander. I was thinking of Cain. That made me think of Cain and Abel. And I remember um, they both brought sacrifices to the Lord as, as they were to do. And it says, Abel brought the best adjective of his flock before the Lord. And it says that Cain brought some of the produce, of his produce from his crops. And God received and accepted Abraham's sacrifice and did not receive Cain's sacrifice. And Cain was angry. And God said, Cain, be careful. Sin is lurking at your door. You must overcome it. And, um, and he says, if you, do, if you do what's right, will not God receive your Receive your offering as well. Well, if you know the story, Cain ends up killing his brother. And uh, instead of acknowledging his wrong or his sin or his lack in certain ways, um, he just goes after the one who's believed and done right. Remember Saul and David. (coughs) Saul, the first king of Israel, and started off well. uh, But as his kingship went along, he he was... um, he began disobeying the Lord's instructions. 
for his life. And running ahead of God or making decisions without consulting and or waiting upon God. And, and he was warned, the prophet Samuel spoke to him one, two, three times, uh, warning him about his disobedience and his uh, neglect of worship or obedience to God. But Saul continued down that road, and then here comes David, a man after God's own heart, who's seeking the Lord and living after God. And instead of Saul admitting his sin or admitting his wrong, he sees David's, the favor of God upon David, and he becomes jealous. And he tries to kill David on more than one account. False teachers will assume faulty motives in true leaders. The same filth of soul in others, they will assume the same filth of soul in others that they possess in themselves, a bitterness, an unforgiveness, envy, greed, lust. Their minds connect dots that do not exist. Their minds begin to connect dots of people and things and actions that do not exist. They will get motives wrong. They will not understand the correct the motives that true leaders have. They come to believe and project that they are being judged when they're not, or even when they're not. But rather than accept responsibility, they accuse the obedient of being legalistic and condemning. Oh, he or she is a goody two shoes, or they think they're better than everyone, or Another indication of a false teacher is that they're more concerned about fighting for their own rights and liberties than for the spiritual well-being of other people. They will care more about their personal freedoms and them being able to express themselves than they care about how it affects other people or being a stumbling block for new believers or people that are curious or new in their faith. They will flaunt their freedoms or demand or fight for their ability to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it. They will flaunt their freedom to drink around those who struggle with alcohol abuse. They will be bold in their foul language with no respect or decency when children are present. They will dress immodestly to express themselves or to gain attention uh, rather than guarding the hearts or the eyes, the hearts and eyes of their brother or sister in the Lord. And this is refuted uh, throughout Scripture, Romans 6, 1, hey, should we then go on and sin that grace may abound? No, be it not so. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.23, 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permissible, but not all things are constructive. And um, um, instead of laying down our lives and sacrificing our desires for the cause of Christ, for the well-being of people, a false teacher will be all about fighting for their rights and their liberties and their freedoms that they have in Christ, they say.
A false teacher, number four, will point people toward themselves <coughs> or something other than Jesus. Acts 20, verse 30 says, Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. They live for material gain or personal promotion, people-pleasing or power. They love the attention of people. They love to be seen as caring. They love to be seen as caring, as generous, as wise. They like people to be dependent upon them. A good question to ask is, does this teacher help me become more dependent on God or themselves? And, um, and that's a false teacher will draw a crowd or a following after themselves instead of pointing people to Jesus and helping them grow in their dependence upon the Holy Spirit and God and his word. Um, they'll tell people what they want to hear, but not necessarily what they need to hear. They will speak what is good for ratings or for drawing people after themselves. And, uh, and that fits with the culture. And, and Paul was speaking to Timothy. He said this in 2 Timothy 4. He says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. False teachers will exhibit false humility while undermining God's chosen leaders. Hey, a great example of this is Absalom in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, his dad was David, who we just spoke of a little bit ago, a man after God's own heart. He was a great king, a perfect king, no, but a very good king. And even when he did wrong, he acknowledged his wrong. Unlike Saul... He acknowledged his wrong and, and um, relied on the mercies of God. And, um, and his son Absalom comes along, and uh, here we have him in 2 Samuel 15, 1 through 6. <clears throat> it says, After this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early in the morning, and he went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've got a really strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it, undermining his dad and his dad's government. I wish I were the judge. Then I could bring the, their cases Oh, then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice, self-promotion. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. False humility. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment, and so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. You know, some people are very good at false humility. Absalom was great at it. How different from John the Baptist in the New Testament. And John the Baptist, who had been baptizing people and had baptized Christ and declared that Jesus was the Messiah that had been prophesied, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. 
He had pronounced Jesus the Christ. His disciples come to him and said, John, John, that guy that you said was the, was the Messiah, he's on the other side of the Jordan upstream. He's baptizing people there. It's competition. He's infringing, John, on your ministry. And what does John say? Um, John says, it is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Another version says, he must increase, and I must decrease. John the Baptist. Hey, if God places us in a position of, of um, influence, gives us... Um, some prominence or a spotlight on us to glorify himself, fine and good. And we'll do that. And we'll be faithful with that. But beware of those who are jockeying for position and are trying to get into the spotlight. Beware. This is what's really cool. Uh, scripture doesn't only tell us to beware of false prophets and teachers. It doesn't only tell us how to identify them, but even more, it tells us how to Identify good teachers. Yes. Yes. Good. You done with the negativity? Oh, let's turn the page. <coughs> Identify good teachers. Not perfect people. Right? Jesus was the perfect person. Uh, we're redeemed through Christ. Awesome. Uh, we're being made perfect. We're not there yet. Got a lot of work to do. God's got a lot of work to do in our lives. <clears throat> He's faithful to us, though. Philippians 1 6, he who began a good work in us is faithful to bring it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus' return. We're all works in progress. Yeah. Thank God his mercies are new every single morning for us. Great is his faithfulness to us. Thank God for his Holy Spirit, who is our comforter and our counselor. Praise God for his love. But we're supposed to identify good teachers, and Scripture tells us how to do it. Not perfect people, but there are uh, things to look for. And Paul, when he was speaking to his protege, Timothy, and when he was speaking to his protege, Titus, he was instructing them, guys, as people put their faith in Christ in these different communities, and we want to help them grow in their faith, you know, we need to have, we don't want anyone and everyone, we don't want the guy telling kids to play in the street. We want to guard the sound doctrine. We want to support people as God has told us to do, all of us. Look for people that fit these descriptions. This is what he said. First Timothy, uh, number one, a proven track record. Look for people with a proven track record. First Timothy 3, 1 through 7. <coughs> this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is... Now listen to all of these... Um, items that are put forth. A man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. And he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, 
not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer, because he might become proud, and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him, so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. This is Paul giving Timothy, this is how we pick somebody. This is who God wants to lead his church. These types of people that are mature and faithful in their growth and with God. He told Titus something very similar. Let's look at that. Titus 1, 5 through 9. I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he'll be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. So there's two things for us. They have a proven track record. That would be so good for us if we learn to measure credibility uh, based on the person's, this criteria. In, in knowing if a person is trustworthy to listen to or a good, a good teacher. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should, not look, uh, we should be careful not to look for glitz and glamour personalities for our spiritual nourishment. Not uh, just the cool rock star, though God can use them, but faithful soldiers of the cross, Bereans of the Word. I said cool rock, Christian rock star because um, the lead singer for a band called Skillet was interviewed, and he said, it's such a shame, he said. He says, I get it. We're in the limelight, and Christian artists are in the limelight, and so we have, and God uses us to encourage people and to sing truth. But he says, it's such a shame that young people will make a 20-year-old rock star their source for all theology. It's too bad, he said. When he wanted, he wished that they would be directed to Faithful pillars in the church, men and women who have walked the walk and have known Christ and have fruit that is very evident in their life. So, um, number two, another way to see and discern good leaders is two, uh, a good leader prioritizes God's approval. Not the approval of man. He's not a people pleaser. But he will say what God wants said, and he will preach the word as it is written. Galatians 1.10, Paul is addressing the Galatians, and um, he gets, he's kind of reprimanding them a lot in the beginning and confronting them. And then he says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If people-pleasing were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples and preparing them, he says uh, to those that wanted to be the greatest, he said, must, you must be the servant of all. 
Um, Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. And Jesus exemplified that while he was on earth and with his disciples. Uh, One of his disciples, Peter, um, when Peter is writing to uh, the churches, he writes this. He, He tells fellow elders, he says, And now... A word to you who are elders in the church, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. So so there we have it. God's true teachers and good teachers are people that have... um, uh, are not people pleasers, but they are living for God's approval. They fit those qualifications as listed. They are good shepherds. Praise God. I thank God for Pastor Bob and um, who's here and that I've been able to watch his life and, and see the fruit of his work. And um, And I thank God for all the great teachers that are out there and pastors that are out there. Praise God for them. What is our response? When we find a good teacher, what is our response to them to be? Our our response, uh, according to Scripture, is to obey and care. Obey our teacher and care. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of the good example, the good that has come from their lives and follow their example of faith. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work, you see that? It doesn't say undermine your spiritual leaders and be critical of them. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. 1 Timothy 5.17, it says, Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. That's true. And it's good. God cares about us and me, and He doesn't want me to listen to false teachers, He wants me to be discerning. He wants me to know how to identify good teachers. And he wants me to obey. He wants me to care for them as they care also for us.
And um, one other um, thing this morning, I, a couple months ago, what, a couple, not a couple months ago, eight years ago, I was driving uh, through a town um, outside of Mount Horeb, and I stopped at a church where I knew or at least was acquainted with a pastor there. Um, since I was in there, I thought, I'm going to stop by and see if he's there. And sure enough, he was there. And I stepped in his office, and, and he was, um, we had a conversation. And the conversation was, was this. He was asking me if I was very much aware of the Jesus movement that happened from the late 60s to the early 80s, where there was such a desire for um, for God outside of the institution or outside of stale um, Christianity. There was a desire to see the Holy Spirit at work as it was in the first century church and an openness to the Holy Spirit's giftings and, and to the supernatural. And, um, and hundreds of thousands of high schoolers and college-age um, students were coming to Christ and being baptized across the United States and many parts of the world. And it, he, said, he said, as he watched and as he was in that era, he, seemed, he sensed that God, um, God poured out his Holy Spirit in a very special and beautiful way at that time upon people. And that there were healings and there was miracles and there was prophecy and there was things that were happening that were so cool and so neat and such a unity of, of people in love for God and love for one another that it was really, really neat. He said, and then, and then he said it seemed that people got away from sound doctrine. And they took their eyes off of Jesus after some time. A lot of, generally, the good amount of people took their eyes off of Jesus and started focusing on um, experiences. The focus became experiences. And, and the people started being led by emotionalism. And there was a lot of fabrication and manufacturing of miracles. And people would jump on the bandwagon and go, hey, there's money to be made here. TV evangelists and, and some other things that were starting to make a buck. And he said, it just seemed that God pulled back. As soon as all of that started happening and, and the Christians started steering that direction, he got pulled back his Holy Spirit. And there was a whole generation that lived during that time that was skeptical or becoming skeptical of the age because they had seen things that were quirky or weird or not, not in line, it, really outside of Scripture. And, and they had a bad taste in their mouth. And he said the church responded by, being, by, by going back to sound doctrine and saying, hey, we're going to keep our nose in the Bible. We're going to live principled lives. We're going to uh, know God's word better instead of being led by our emotions or experience, chasing experiences or whatever else. And so, so it was good that they return to the scriptures. However, they kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater and kind of said, Holy Spirit, we don't really want you here and in the churches. 
Because we don't know how to, uh, we're going we're gonna to stick with what we know. We're going to live principled. And we're going to live by these promises that you've given us. And, um, and so churches even scheduling, there's not a time to wait on God. There's not a time to be sensitive or open to the Holy Spirit or, or letting God own or run part of the service. Everything's scripted down to the, hey, this is when we start. At this time, worship's done. Offering's here. Teaching here. Done here. Dismiss. Gone. We fill up all the hours every minute of the program, and we're controlling things rather than allowing space and allowing God, if he desires to take things in a different direction, if he desires to touch us in a special way or do something in our heart that we do not, don't, don't allow for. And, um, I th- and he said, you know what, Travis? He says, I am believing and hoping and anticipating that the next generation will not only be um, grounded in sound doctrine, but they will also be open to the Holy Spirit at the same time, and it'll converge, and it'll be so powerful. He says he's waiting for that and believing that that that'll happen, that both of those will be held on to. And I hope for that too. It'd be so cool.